Well, John is right. We, uh, I've never been here before, and uh, we have really been uh, anticipating and, and excited about coming to Mabel Memorial Chapel. And so it's really good to be here and to see all of you. And In fact, I see quite a few faces that I've seen in Caswell, too. Thank you for that support. And um, it's, um, I'd just like to encourage um, everyone here. And it's, it's so good to see a church right in, in the city of Harrisonburg. And um, so many opportunities. Um, just allow the Lord to, um, to lead and shape the church as He wants. You know, it's interesting. We uh, sometimes have our preconceived ideas of what an outreach church should be like, what it's going to look like five years from now, 10 years, 20 and um, but you know that's not the way uh, always the way God works things out and uh, we've had some surprises along the way at and uh, there at Caswell and uh, they've been good and uh, we've just been blessed uh, and bring you greetings from the congregation there and um, and just uh, wish you the Lord's blessings as you continue to work here I invite you to turn to uh, the book of James, chapter 2. James, chapter 2. While you're uh, turning there, I'd like for you to, to just think for a moment about some of the favorites that you might have. Uh, we all have favorite things in life. Maybe you have a favorite flavor of ice cream or your favorite car. Um, Maybe uh, Ben might have a favorite chair. I don't know that he likes to sit in. Uh, maybe you have a, your favorite pair of shoes on this morning, or some people have a favorite time of day or a favorite season. And, and you know, these are all things that it's, it's okay. That's the way God made us. We have things, some in our family like um, fall and winter. Some people like spring and some like summer. Um, and all of these are preferences that we grow up with, and we have those favorites. But there's one thing, area in life, where we cannot have favorites, and that's with people. In fact, we touched on it quite a bit in Sunday school class. I was sitting there thinking that, you know, this is just uh, meshing right with the sermon that I wanted to preach, and that's okay. But you know, whether it comes to, to family, or church family, or strangers, we cannot have favorites. Those of you who have families, I see some children here, and, and you parents know that the uh, detrimental impact it would have if you were to, to pick one of your children and say, this is my favorite. Uh, what that would do to the rest of the children, how it would affect the family. Um, the same thing can happen when it's in church life or whether it's in uh, meeting people on the street and interacting with your neighbors and the people that, that you uh, just come in contact with. Well, James apparently saw the destructiveness of favoritism, and he addressed it. Um, 
in his letter to to this uh, church. The the letter that he uh, wrote is addressed particularly to Jewish Christians, and um, and so if you kind of understand that background, you may understand a little better where he was coming from with uh, some of the things that he talked about in the in the book of James, which is a very unique book. And, uh, but he addresses this thing of this, the, the destructiveness of partiality and favoritism, uh, and especially in the church, and to the extent that he called it sin. I've titled this message, The Sin of Favoritism. <clears throat> I would, um, I think I'll read this passage um, at this time, the um, James chapter 2, I'm going to read the first uh, 13 verses. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with the gold rings, fine apparel, and there should also come a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and you say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves, and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point... He is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak as do those, as do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Well, as I said, James was addressing these Jewish Christian churches. And uh, apparently there was uh, an issue with partiality, with favoritism among the church, among the people. And it should be noted that these Jews were probably not wealthy. uh, But many of them struggled. They struggled with poverty. Uh, They were not necessarily living well off. And uh, that can probably have something to do with the temptation of favoritism and partiality. So what is so destructive about partiality? There's a couple other words we could throw in there. uh, Synonyms such as discrimination, favoritism, uh, bias, prejudice. Uh, whichever one you want to use, what, what is so destructive about that? Now, we 
you know, said in the outset, it's, it's certainly nothing wrong with, with having uh, favorites, favorite things, things that we like, things that we prefer. Why does it become so destructive when it comes to people? Well, let's go back to the Old Testament. Let me just remind you of, of some things that occurred uh, long ago in Genesis 25, 28. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And early on, we saw the destructiveness of partiality within God's chosen family. Isaac loved Esau. Rebekah loved Jacob. Just a few short words, but what an impact it had on that family and on the generations that followed. Because we read a little bit later in uh, chapter 37, verse 3, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. And so you see how it follows from one generation to the next. Isaac had his favorite. Rebekah had her favorite. And so when Jacob grows older, he too chooses his favorite son, Joseph. And he loves him more than all of his other sons. And he shows favoritism to him. And you see what happened is that, that wedge that was driven into the family to the point that his brothers hated him. Now, why would they hate Joseph? He was just an innocent young fellow. But you see, if you were probably to, to sit down and analyze that, it probably wasn't Joseph himself that they hated but they hated the, the partiality. They hated the favoritism that was, was being shown by their father. And it got to the point that they could not even speak peaceably to him, it says. <clears throat> well, interestingly, it didn't stop there. In chapter 43, the uh, account when Joseph rose to the, the leadership in Egypt... <laughs> And the famine was all across the land. <clears throat> and then all of his brothers came to, to buy food from Joseph. And so there they were sitting before him. And verse 33 says, As they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth, and the men looked with astonishment at one another. Then he took servings to them from before him, to Benjamin's serving was five times as much as theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. <coughs> Joseph, too, was showing favoritism to that brother Benjamin. Probably because he had a little closer kinship to him. Maybe because of the time they had spent together when they were younger. <coughs> but he showed favoritism. <coughs> In 1 Timothy 5.21, Timothy writes, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Why would they admonish us to do 
things without partiality, to show um, that showing favoritism and partiality to others is dangerous, it's detrimental. Well, I think we can see it quite clearly. What happened in, in Israel's family and the wedge that was driven when there was partiality. Can you imagine if you take that then and relate that to church life or to your social life in dealing with other people, the effect that it can have on other people when there's partiality? <clears throat> Favoritism, you see, destroys relationships. And it goes against the very nature of God. That's the danger of favoritism. A very familiar verse we read in John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You see, His love extended. It was, there was no partiality, but it is to the entire world, to every person. To every being, to everyone who's ever lived, God extended His love without partiality. He doesn't have favorites. And the moment that we think that we're somehow God's special child, we're His chosen one, then we've missed the mark. Because He loves the beggar down the street as much as He loves you and me. And sometimes it's hard for us to to, to grasp that, to, to, to wrap that truth around our, uh, around our minds, when, especially when we encounter someone who is very unlovely. Or as someone mentioned in our Sunday school class, the neighbor who is difficult to live with, to live beside. You see, favoritism drives wedges, but... Uh, when, when, we, when we do away with that, we build bridges. I remember uh, years ago when I was just a small boy, uh, we had neighbors, uh, not real close uh, to us, but uh, across the pasture. And um, my dad had, had purchased this land not, not too long before this happened, and and uh, the neighbor was actually running his cattle in, in the pasture at the time. So he, he had some sort of agreement and he was leasing the, the pasture land. But my dad wanted to make some improvements and, and it had a little kind of a, just a swampy watering hole in it. And so he hired somebody to come in and with some equipment and they excavated out a, a pretty nice sized pond. And uh, wasn't real big, but... Uh, you know, it was for the benefit of the pasture and the cattle. But apparently he didn't run this by the neighbor who had the cattle in the pasture first. I guess he assumed that, you know, a pond in the pasture would be a, a plus. And, uh, well, the neighbor uh, came and talked to him, and he was extremely irate. He was just upset. I don't know if I was around or not. Maybe I heard some conversation. I probably ran off. Uh, but it was a very pleasant conversation. And um, he was just upset because my dad was destroying pasture out there, and he had his cows there, and uh, they weren't going to have enough to eat. And um, I, do rem I don't remember what all happened, but I do remember my dad kept a very cool uh, demeanor about him, and he offered 
whatever concessions he could uh, to him. He offered him hay, um, whatever that would smooth over the situation. And um, the man wouldn't accept anything, and he just, just walked off. As far as I know, that's sort of where that uh, relationship um, stayed or stagnated at from then on. I don't know if, if anything beyond that developed, but he continued to be, I think, in years past, uh, after that uh, to be a neighborly man and never brought up the issue again. But you see, in, in, in my dad's um, actions, he was building, trying to build a, a relationship as much as he could. Now, if he'd have shown partiality, you see what would have happened if he'd have just wrote him off and said, I don't have anything to do with you. It's my land. I can do with it what I want. You can just take your cows and leave. Would that have changed something? I'm sure it would have. But he smoothed it over and, and, their, and the relationship, even though maybe it didn't ever get to where he would have liked to have seen it, at least it was not hostile uh, the rest of this man's life. <clears throat> Favoritism destroys relationships. <clears throat> now, there are many ways that one might show favoritism. It may be in uh, gender, appearance, ancestry, race, age, achievement, wealth. All of these things, uh, society has a way of categorizing people. Um, in, in all different ways. And there's, um, well, there's been a, a lot of efforts to, um, to change some of that. Uh, some of it has been good, some of it has not been good. But uh, we need not focus on any particular one, but I think we can apply the principles of Scripture to any of these situations that we may find uh, tendencies to show favoritism to people. And I think James gives us some example here in, in um, chapter 2. The uh, a couple of, well, verses uh, 2 to 4. For, there should not, uh, for if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there would come a poor man in filthy clothes, you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and give him a, a place to sit. And, um, but you don't mention the other one. He says in verse 4, Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? See, sometimes we may do those things without even giving it a thought. And say, well, you know, well, we're not trying to set ourselves up as a judge. But he's saying that if you show partiality, then that's exactly what you're doing. You're setting yourself up as, as a judge over this person. And so... Basically, uh, in this passage, he gives there, there are four basic problems with partiality. And the first one is that it is ungodly. You see, Jesus accepted everyone. There was not a place that he wouldn't go. He didn't shy away from going through Samaria. He didn't shy away from going to places that the disciples would say, you know, it's probably really shouldn't be here. Uh, that was not, uh, he, he, that didn't enter his mind. Because you see, faith and favoritism are incompatible. 
I'd like to look at a, a few passages of Scripture. John chapter 4. Um, I'm, I'm not going to read all of this, but John chapter 4, we have the uh, Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman. Um, <clears throat> in verse 3, he left Judea, departed to Galilee, uh, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And now you know the story of the Samaritan woman came out of the town and they had this uh, uh, dialogue and, um, and he began to speak with her. Um, the Jews did not typically go through Samaria and if, if they did, they probably would not stop and, and draw water from the well and spend time because then they, somebody might come out of the town and start talking and, and they didn't want to be seen with those people. And so... You know, Jesus was breaking all kinds of, of social rules here uh, with what he was, had, uh, was doing. Now, I'm not sure where the disciples were. Apparently, they went to get some, uh, well, verse 8 said they went to get some food. Maybe there was more behind that. Um, maybe they just didn't want to be there, and they decided to, to move on, figure Jesus would catch up later. Um, but you see, Jesus' attitude here was to not show favoritism, to engage this woman in conversation just as he would anyone else. Because you see, his focus was upon her spiritual well-being. And so he took the time and, 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 and his, in fact, him breaking these social rules and being there provided an opportunity for him to engage with her and to talk. <clears throat> and to change her life. Verse 27, at this point his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you see? Or why are you talking with her? And so you see, they were still trapped in this, 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 this social partiality. And yet, yet they didn't want to bring it up. They didn't want to mention anything, but that's what they were thinking. Their, their minds were spinning. You know, why is he here? But no one asked. <clears throat> because they were trapped with it. Uh, another example, Mark chapter 10, verse 13. <clears throat> then they brought little children to him that he might touch... He might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. And when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them and blessed them. Here again, we see the, uh, you know, maybe the children were noisy. Maybe the disciples felt they were interrupting, you know, what they were there to do. And so, um, for some reason, they decided to 
rebuke those who brought the children. I'm glad we didn't do that this morning. We didn't rebuke any of you for bringing your children to church. Church is where they should be. Church is where families should be. Jesus said, this is the kingdom of God. This is where uh, he, he saw the future in children. And so he told the disciples, let the children come. Do not forbid them. Let them come. And he gave them an example as he took them up in his arms, laid hands on them and blessed them. What an example for us of not showing partiality. Secondly, partiality is unreasonable. And uh, back in uh, James, verses uh, 5 to 7, he said, Listen, my beloved brethren, has not God... Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? In other words, he was explaining to them the unreasonableness of their, of, of, of their logic, of their thinking. You know, here they were trying to honor the wealthy. You know, the, the person with all the money and, and the gold rings and they, and they come in and, and they're the ones that get the favor. He said, those are the ones that are going to drag you to court. Those are not your friends. They are not, in other words, he's saying it is unreasonable for you to think that, that those are the ones that you need to be showing favoritism to because they're not the ones that are going to be on your side. Matthew Henry said this, a lowly state is most favorable for inward peace and for growth in holiness. God would give to all believers riches and honors of this world if they would do them good, seeing that he has chosen them to be rich in faith and made them heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to bestow on all who love him. Consider how often riches lead to vice and mischief. And what great reproaches are thrown upon God and religion by men of wealth, power, worldly greatness. And it will make this sin appear very sinful and foolish. And I think he said it well. The rich are generally not on your side. And that's what James is telling these people here. You know, it made me think about Solomon one who had amassed great wealth and possessions, and one who was so favored by God, you know, that God blessed him with, with, with so much. But yet, those very things, all those possessions, turned his heart away from God. <clears throat> Number three, partiality is unloving. Verse 8 and 9, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Partiality does not show love. We talk about love in, in our Sunday school class, the importance of love. 
Turn with me to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, I'm going to start at verse 28. Then one of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. This is the first commandment. Now I'm just reiterating this verse, these verses we had in Sunday school, because the importance of, of the aspect of love. He said that is the first and the greatest commandment, and it consists of love. How important is love? Love and partiality are not compatible. And so he told this man, he said, that is the first and greatest commandment. The most important thing of all is consists of love. And if you look that up, it is agape love. That's God-like love. <clears throat> And because of these things, these, these three things I've mentioned, the fact that partiality is ungodly, it's unreasonable, and it's unloving, he concludes that it is sin. Partiality is sin, verse 9, but if you show partiality, you commit sin. It's a pretty serious thing when we show partiality. I ran across a, uh, a story and I've not necessarily been able to verify if this actually occurred or not, but I think it makes a good point. A pastor transformed himself into a homeless person and went to a large church that he was to be introduced as the head pastor that morning. He walked around his soon-to-be church for 30 minutes while it was filling with people for the service. Only three people out of the many said hello to him, he asked people for change to buy food, and no one on the church gave him anything. He went into the sanctuary to sit down in the front of the church and was asked by the ushers if he would please sit in the back. He greeted people to be greeted back with stares, dirty looks, and people looking down on him. As he sat in the back of the church, he listened to the church announcements and such. When all that was done, the elders went up and were excited to introduce the new pastor of the church to the congregation. We would like to introduce to you our new pastor. The congregation looked around, clapping with joy and anticipation. The homeless man, sitting in the back, stood up and started walking down the aisle. The clapping stopped. With all eyes on him, he walked up to the pulpit and took the microphone from the elders who, by the way, were in on this, and paused for a moment. Then he recited, The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. 
Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. After he recited this, he looked towards the congregation and told them all that he had experienced that morning. Many began to cry. Many heads were bowed in shame. He then said, today I see a gathering of people, not a church of Jesus Christ. The world has enough people, but not enough disciples. When will you decide to become disciples? Then he dismissed until the service until the next week. Fourthly, partiality is unlawful. Verses 10 to 12. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you, do, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. You see, to be a violator of the law, one doesn't have to break all the laws. You just simply break one. And you're a violator. If you've ever been... Um, stopped by a policeman, but they refer to people who are stopped for a traffic infraction as violators. They've stopped a violator because you violated the law. You didn't break all of the laws, but maybe you broke one. And that was grounds enough for him to stop and maybe write you a citation because you have become a violator. And so James' point here is that partiality violates the law. And if you, and and so some may think that, well, you know, partiality, that's not that big of a deal. And look at all the other things we're doing right. But you remember he called it sin in verse 9. And so his example was, you know, if you commit adultery but you don't commit murder, then you're still a violator. If you show partiality and favoritism, you're a violator. That's the seriousness of partiality. Then he concludes in uh, verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And we could probably have another whole message on mercy. But suffice it to say that we have all been recipients of God's mercy. Or else we wouldn't even be here if it were not for the mercy of God. When the saintly old Puritan theologian Thomas Hooker lay on his deathbed... In 1647, a dear friend said to him, Brother, you are going to receive the reward for your labors. 
To which Hooker replied, Brother, I'm going to receive mercy because I've tried to show mercy. That's the outlook that we should have, is that we are beneficiaries of God's mercy. We're not here because we're trying to drum up some kind of reward. We're simply seeking the mercy of God. And whatever He gives us, it's because of His mercy. How can we show that kind of mercy to every person that we meet? Of every person that we may encounter this week, maybe it's someone that, that you've seen many times, maybe someone you know well, but for some reason we think of some of these people that, you know, they would never become a church member. Uh, they just don't quite fit the, the mold of being in our church. Or someone that has lived such a vile life that they could never find the mercy of God. But remember that each one of us are recipients of God's mercy. God does not show partiality. Jesus did not show partiality. Let's not show partiality to the people that we meet, that we encounter, no matter who they are, no matter what background they may have come from. All of those things, it doesn't matter. What does matter is that we show them the love of God. The love of God is without partiality. And it extends beyond all the the barriers that we can drum up in our own mind of whether it's social, race, religion, whatever it may be, God's love extends beyond all of that. May the Lord bless you. Shall we have a song?